open your mind and your heart. Welcome to the fate of humanity. Crucial conversations for our survival with your host, Lauren N. Nile. We can mature beyond today's prejudice and xenophobia. We can save our beautiful planet. The keys are self-awareness, awareness of others, and most important, love. Now, here's Lauren. Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to The Fate of Humanity, Crucial Conversations for Our Survival. I'm your host, Lauren Nile. Well, um, as you know, this show is really bottom line about all of us as a species, all seven plus billion of us, maturing beyond all of the isms, racism, sexism, anti-Semitism, all of the phobias, homophobia, uh, you know, uh, heterosexism, ableism, in other words, discrimination against people with disabilities. This show is about all of us maturing beyond all of that madness in which we presently live and going forward into a a bright future filled with love and understanding. That's really what this show is about. And if you've been listening to the show, you know that I've been talking about specific subjects that I hope will add to our understanding of each other as human beings um, and shine a light on what we do and what we can do differently. So last week, we were talking about um, what I refer to as the common responses to conversations about microaggressions. In other words, the microaggressions that take place in people's lives on a regular basis um, who are targeted for unconscious, whether it's racism or sexism or anti-Semitism or whatever it is. Um, and what happens when a person who has experienced some form of one of those isms um, tries to explain their experience to someone who is not targeted for that for that kind of, of discrimination. Uh, I talked about the fact that very often that person is met with one of the, what I refer to as common responses, which is mostly denial. Um, and so today we're going to talk about how to respond to those common responses, because in my view, it's those common responses, among several other things, of course, that stands in the way of human relationship that stands in the way of empathy, that stands in the way of understanding. So we're going to be talking about how to respond to those common responses effectively and firmly, but with empathy for that person who's giving that denial response, if you will, um, so that hopefully they, they can go on in the future, talk about these things in a way that's helpful and informative, and indeed perhaps even become friends, develop a friendship. So uh, we started with uh, three of what uh, is in fact 20 such common responses and responses to those common responses. So we have 17 to go and that's why this is part two actually uh, of this show on responses to the common responses because we did start with it last week. Before getting into the other 17 responses, however, I'd just like to say a little bit about what happened in our country last night, because I think it is historic. In my view, and I am one person and one, actually, one Democrat, um, so I can only speak for myself, but in my view, what happened last night with the 
victory of so many Democrats all across the country is that as a nation, because I'm sure there were many Republicans who voted with us as well last night, I don't doubt that in the least, as a nation, we rejected a politics built on fear and hatred of the other. Last night, for example, as just one example, uh, the Democrat, Ralph Northen, ran and won against his Republican opponent, Ed Gillespie. And Ed Gillespie had run on a platform, on a ticket that was founded in racism. He won on a platform in which he uh, talked about the need to keep Confederate statues in place. He talked about, uh, or he ran on a platform that was anti-immigrant. He ran on a platform that was anti-LGBTQ. He ran on a platform of fear and divisiveness and hatred. And Ralph Norton, Ralph Norton, Ralph Norton not only beat him last night, but he beat him handily. The people of Virginia said, no, no, not in our state. We have had enough. They rejected what has come to be called Trumpism which is the kind of politics that the president, our president, uh, has consistently run on and continues to, um, if you will, continues to run on even though there's no election at the present time. They rejected it. And in that same state of Virginia, the lieutenant governor, the Democrat, was elected. The attorney general, the Democrat, was elected. The Democrats took over the Assembly or the House of Representatives in the state of Virginia. A trans woman beat her totally homophobic, anti-LGBTQ Republican uh, opponent, Danica Rome, a trans woman last night in the state of Virginia. It happened all over the country, in Washington state, in New York state, in New Jersey, People have rejected a politics of division, hatred, and fear. And in my opinion, that is a good thing and a good sign for our country, for our nation. And I just wanted to speak to that a little bit today to say to all of those folks who were so disenchanted, so disillusioned, so disappointed, and so worried at the last election, and it was just yesterday that, that uh, some celebrated the one-year anniversary of the election of Donald Trump. I just want to say to all of you, there is hope. I just want to tell you that it's important that we all remember what Gandhi said. He said, and this is uh, not exactly his words, but essentially he said, always there have been tyrants, there have been murderers, there, there have essentially been people who engage in very bad, very evil acts and behavior. But, and this is a quote, but in the end, he said, good always wins out. Think of it, always. So we must keep our eye on the prize. Take last night as a wonderful, encouraging sign that love trumps hate always and continue doing our work.
All right. So, back to our common responses. All right. As I said, my friends, I found over the course of many years of my life that denial is the most common response to discussions of any of the isms, uh, be they sexism or, or classism or ageism or racism. People will deny uh, that others have uh, uh, experiences based in those things, based in those isms. And so... Um, what we need to do is respond, as I said, effectively, but also with compassion for that person who's in denial. Um, why compassionately? Because so often when a person denies someone else's pain, it's because they're dealing with their own. And their own pain stands in the way of their being able to identify with and empathetically respond to someone else's pain. So we want to, we want to respond in a way that it becomes a learning moment for that person but in a way that is still compassionate. So we went through the first three. You're overly sensitive. Uh, come on, that stuff doesn't happen anymore. You must have misinterpreted it. I'm sure it didn't happen that way. And number three, well, you know they didn't mean it like that. You know that wasn't their intent. So, you know, why do you get upset about that kind of stuff? All right. We're going to go on now with a response to common response number four. Okay, and that response is, well, maybe they, they meaning the person who committed the insult, uh, maybe they were just having a bad day. That's a response that I hear quite often as well. What might we say in response? Well, you know, maybe you're right. Maybe the person was having a bad day. But it's also possible that they could have responded to me in that way because they were uncomfortable helping whatever, a Latino person, an Asian person, a person with a, with a disability. You know, it, indeed, it's, it's, it's often hard for me to know if I have received that indignity because of prejudice, um, you know, or because maybe the person is really just having a bad day. But the fact that it's hard for me to discern that so often makes it really difficult for me to know how to respond. And then that's uncomfortable. You know, so the response is to meet the person where they are. Yep, you're right. That's a possibility. They could be having a bad day. But it's also possible that they could have been responding to me based on the fact that I am whatever. And it just as it's hard for you, as you say, to know which it is, it's hard for me to know too. And then it's hard for me to know how to respond because I don't want to come off as an angry, you know, uh, unreasonable person if the person is just having a bad day. On the other hand, if they did respond to me this way because of my identity, then of course, you know, I want to uh, speak to that. So it, it, it is often a quandary. That way that lets a person know that, sure, what you say is true, but what I say is also, is potentially true, and what I say is also potentially true. Just because you say, well, maybe they were having a bad day, doesn't make it so. That could be true, but they could also be operating uh, out of an ism, just to give the person something to think about. Okay, common response number five. Uh, you know, maybe it's just the person's personality. Maybe they're just that way with everybody. Hear it all the time. Okay. It's just like the response to number four. Well, you know what? It may be their personality, but it may also be that they were uncomfortable helping me. Or it may also be that they were suspicious of me shopping in the store because of my identity. 
So once again, to just let them know, yep, could be, but it couldn't be as well. See, when we respond in that way, hopefully, we're creating just a little bit of cognitive dissonance so that the person, the next time someone responds to them and tells them about their experience, they may think twice about automatically getting into denial, hopefully. They may hesitate a second before coming out with that automatic response. Excuse me. That, oh, well, maybe it's their personality. Maybe they were having a bad day. Maybe they'll think twice before just saying that without even thinking about it. So, again, just planting a seed of cognitive dissonance. (laughs) Here's another one. Number six. Look, maybe it's just their policy. You know, maybe they just do that with everybody. Same response. Maybe. But it could also be that they were behaving that way toward me because of my identity. Same thing. Okay. Common response number seven. Well, that happens to everybody. Okay. (laughs) That's a very common. That's probably one of the most common of the common responses. That happens to everybody. You know, why do you think it happened to you? Because you're whatever the identity is. All right. Well, one way, there are so many ways, but one way to respond to this particular response is, look, absolutely. Everybody gets a rude, let's say it's a weight person. Everybody gets a rude waiter every now and then. I mean, that's just life. Of course it happens to everybody. It's random, like the roll of the dice. Some days it's just going to happen. I believe that what's different for me, though, is the frequency with which it happens to me. See, it's, it's, it's the frequency with which it happens to me that, that makes it so different. It doesn't feel like just the roll of the dice. It doesn't feel just random because it happens to me so frequently. You know, my strong suspicion is that it, it happens to me a lot more often than it happens to you. And again, it's that frequency. It's how often it happens that makes it so difficult. You know, it's the frequency of my experience of that particular indignity that affects the quality of my life so significantly in a way that probably doesn't affect yours. You see, now that's a long answer, and I sort of uh, said the same thing a couple of times just to uh, bring the point home to you. And you don't have to, of course, repeat it as many times as, as you just heard me uh, do. But um, the the point is, to say to the person, of course it happens to everybody. I don't know a single person who hasn't had a, a rude waiter, you know, or a rude, I don't know, hotel check-in person or whatever it is. Uh, but my guess is that it happens to me a lot more frequently than it happens to you, you see. And that, the frequency of how often it happens to me, makes it so different for me. It's different enough so that it affects the quality of my life. Just give the person that, that seed to think about, because that is the reality. Okay? Ready for number eight? Look, that happens to me too, you know, so it couldn't have happened to you because of, in this instance, I'm going to say your race. It happens to me too, so it couldn't have happened to you because of your race, because, I mean, I'm not black and it happens to me. Okay. What's a nice response? What's an effective response? A response that might give the person something to think about. It is something like, you don't have to use these exact words, of course, but essentially. Look, I don't doubt at all that you've had the same experience. I'd be surprised if you haven't had that kind of experience. 
I just ask you to be open to the possibility, though, that just because it's happened to you doesn't mean that it didn't happen to me because of my race. Maybe it happened to you because of your, you know, body type or because you have a beard or because you were wearing black leather. And the person responds to people who ba- wear black leather in that way, too, or who have a beard or whatever, whatever the person's characteristic might be that you might be able to bring to their attention. But the point is that the person could have been prejudiced against, you know, people who wear leather and may perhaps even have been afraid of you. But they could also have been afraid of me because of my race. They could also have been suspicious of me because of my race and also because of you, because you were wearing black leather. You see, the same could be true simultaneously. Both could be equally true. So just because it happened to you for a non-racial reason doesn't mean that it didn't happen to me for a racial reason. Both could be true simultaneously. That's the point. So again, it's just something to help the person think rationally, think rationally about these things. And hopefully, again, it'll give them something to think about so that in the future they can respond more empathetically to you and hopefully be a learning experience. All right, it's time for a break, folks. I'll uh, see you on the other side of the break. Hopefully, I've given you something to think about as we go to break. And please return so we can continue with our other responses to the common responses. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Lauren is available for readings of her book, Race, My Story, and Humanity's Bottom Line, for keynote speaking engagements, training engagements, and for the facilitation of retreats. She works with both large and small organizations. Her interactive and experiential workshops range from four hours to four days in length. When working with groups, Lauren's style is a comfortable blend of both passion and peacefulness. She brings her sense of humor appropriately to all of her work. Lauren's work with groups has been described as eye-opening, inspirational, powerful, and life-changing. The goal of Lauren's work with employers is to help organizations create work environments in which every individual is both highly welcomed and equally valued. The goal of Lauren's speaking and training in the greater society is to help the human species grow in both wisdom and compassion. Her fervent desire is to help all people see the divine in themselves and themselves in each other. For more information about Lauren's programs, please visit laurennile.com. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus, topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. This is the fate of humanity. Crucial conversations for our survival. To reach host Lauren N. Nile with questions or comments about the program, please send an email to author and speaker Lauren at gmail.com. That's author and speaker Lauren at gmail.com. 
Now, let's return to the fate of humanity. Hi, welcome back, everybody. I'm Laura Nile, host of The Fate of Humanity, um, Crucial Conversations for Our Survival. Just to let you know, just to remind you, for those of you who've been listening, I wrote a book with regard to all of the content that I'm sharing with you today. It's called Race, My Story, and Humanity, uh, Humanity's Bottom Line. It's available at barnesandnoble.com. It's available at amazon.com. It's available from my publisher, iUniverse. And essentially what I'm sharing with you is from uh, a note, note four um, of my book. And the note is entitled Common Responses and Responses to the Common Responses. So if you'd like to get more information about this subject, certainly uh, take a look at my book and you'll get a lot more information there. So we are moving on here with our uh, responses, our 20 responses and responses to the Common Responses. So before the break, we talked about, uh, hey, it happened to me too, and I'm not Hispanic, I'm not black, I'm not Asian American, Indian American, or Native American, so it couldn't happen to you because of your race. And we said that a response to that is, yep, could have happened to you because of whatever it is, because this person responded to you based on your body type, or your dress, or your piercings, or your tattoos, and they could also have responded to me because of their reaction to my race. Both can be true. Okay. Common response number nine. Here we go. Well, what were you wearing? I mean, when I dress in a t-shirt and shorts, I get treated like that too. So it's not about race. Okay. Can't tell you how many times I've heard that. So how do we respond to that? How do we make that a learning moment? A teachable moment, as they say? We might say something like this. Look, I'm sure it's true that sometimes you're treated not as well as others who are more well-dressed. I'm sure that's happened. I mean, you know, many people are visual people, and when they see you in T-shirts and shorts, you're not going to get the same service as someone who may be in a suit. I get that. What's different for me, though, and, I, you know, I just ask you to think about this. What's different for me, though, is that I've experienced this same kind of treatment no matter what I'm wearing. I've experienced it if I'm in a T-shirt and shorts, And I've experienced it when I'm in a business suit. You see, so that's what's different for me. You can change your clothes. I can too. But a lot of times it doesn't matter for me because what the other person is responding to isn't what I'm wearing. It's not, you know, that I have a suit or I don't have a suit on or the color of my suit. It's the color of my skin. And unlike my clothes, I can't change that. I was, um, oh, this was maybe five years ago. I was working for a university, a different university from the one that I'm working for now. And at lunch, oh, I had on a business suit because I was delivering a workshop that day. So I had on a business suit, um, a skirt and, you know, a, a jacket, matching jacket. And, uh, you know, I was pretty well dressed up because it was a pretty important workshop uh, for some managers and directors and leaders. At lunch, I put on my, uh, my sneakers and I went for a walk, a long walk, into a community that was adjacent to the university. As I'm walking in this cul-de-sac of this community, an older white gentleman literally, literally sprints out of his house, looks at me and says, uh, do you live around here? What are you, what are you doing around here? 
and I was caught off guard, so I didn't respond well. I said, uh, no, I, I don't live in the neighborhood, but I do work for the university. Uh, I work in human resources. Oh, 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 okay, okay. And then, of course, I got angry. Um, as a human being, that's one of the responses that often follows that kind of response. I got angry because I thought to myself, I didn't owe that man an explanation. It's a public street. It's a public sidewalk. Um, and I'm sorry I gave it to him. I should have just looked at him and said, no, I don't live in the neighborhood. And that's it. Um, I got angry because I thought if I had been a white woman, my same age, same same everything, same body type, same everything, dressed in sneakers and a business suit in the middle of the day, would he have run out of his house responding to me in that way? Of course not. Um, and so that's an example of the kind of treatment that um, a person of color often gets, no matter how we're dressed. And that's only one of so many stories I can tell you that has happened to me over the course of my life. Okay, moving on. Common response number 10. Well, if I went to the fill in the blank, if I went to the black side of town, if I went to the, you know, to an Hispanic neighborhood, if I went into Chinatown, you know, if I was on a reservation, whatever the particular identity group is, um, you know, well, if I went uh, to the black side of town, uh, the same thing would happen to me in reverse, you know. That's a response that I've heard many often, uh, many times. Okay. All right. Learning moment, teachable moment. What do we say? And again, one need not use the exact words that I'm sharing with you, but it's the thought that I'm sharing with you that I suggest that you share with that person to give them something to think about. Well, sure. It could very well be true, depending upon whom it is you're interacting. I don't deny that. Uh, and whenever it does happen to you, it's as wrong for it to happen to you as it is for it to happen to me. You also don't deserve to be treated badly because of your race. Nobody does. That's the point. The point, which I hope you can see, is that it's just as wrong when it happens to me because of my race. And the fact that you experience or that you may experience prejudice too doesn't in any way negate my experience of it. You see, so sure, it might happen to you on the, on the other side of town, if you will, quote unquote, but that doesn't make it right. And so when it happens to me in society at large, certainly doesn't make it right, just because it might happen to you, perhaps, if you're in a black neighborhood. And frankly, in, in my experience, in black neighborhoods, in my experience, black people treat white people pretty well in general, you know, no matter where they are. But... There's also another big difference in my experience and yours. And that difference is how easy it is for you to avoid those kinds of situations and how difficult it is for me to avoid those kinds of situations, for for me to avoid that kind of treatment. I mean, if you don't want to be treated that way and you think that perhaps you would be, if you went to the black side of town, all you have to do is not shop in that part of town, not go to that part of town, which you can easily do. But for me to avoid that kind of treatment on a regular basis, I'd have to avoid the entire larger society. You see, I'd have to avoid the entire larger society. So 
the ease with which you can avoid being in that situation makes it very different for you than for me. That stuff can slap me in the face no matter where I am at any moment, and I just never know from whence it may come at any time. So once again, if it happens to you, it's wrong. But please hear that if it happens to me, it's just as wrong and no less wrong because it might happen to you if you're in a particular part of town. It's wrong when anybody receives that kind of treatment based on their race. And the difference is that it's fairly easy for you to avoid and nearly impossible for me to avoid. All right. I hope this is making sense to you. I, I, I hope that as I'm going through these explanations, um, they you know, are common sense um, and not academic. Because I think that these really are the kinds of conversations people can have. I've had these kinds of conversations with people very often. But because I think I do so uh, with patience and with grace toward that person, um, they're more often than not, in my experience, actually able to hear it. Okay. Common response number 11. Well, that's not such a big deal. I mean... After all, it hasn't keep, kept you from getting a job. It hasn't kept you from, from doing pretty well for yourself. I mean, Lauren, you know, you live in a nice neighborhood and you drive a nice car and, you know, you're pretty comfortable. So, I mean, what's the big deal? It doesn't really affect your life in any important way. Okay. Uh, I haven't heard that one as much, but I've talked to other friends of mine who are African-American, Hispanic-American, um, and they've reported to me that they've uh, gotten that response. So how might we respond to that response? I can understand why you'd think that. From all appearances, you know, sure, I'm, I'm doing pretty well. But just because I have a good job and I live in a nice home, it doesn't mean that I don't experience the daily indignities. In fact, one of the things that's so upsetting to me is that I have done all the right things. I've played by all the rules. I've gotten the degrees, I've landed the good job, I've bought a nice home, have a nice family, and still, I'm treated like a suspect by the police. I'm treated like a uh, suspect, like a shoplifter by store clerks. You know, and in so many other situations, I'm not given the benefit of, benefit of the doubt. If I'm returning an item, it's got to be, you know, I don't know, uh, given the... 10th degree or whatever they call it, um, looked at carefully to make sure that it's not broken or damaged in some way. You know, I, I just ask you to think about how you'd feel if you were me, having worked so hard for so long and accomplished all the things that I've been able to accomplish in my life as a result of working so hard and still experience these things on a regular basis, still experience fear in the presence of a police officer, still be followed around in stores. You know, how would you feel if you've done all the right things and you're still treated like a common criminal? I just ask you to think about how you'd feel if you were in my position. That's all. Okay, we're moving ahead here, moving right along. Common response 12. Well, what did you do? Maybe you did something that made them react that way. That's a pretty common one. I've gotten that one quite a bit. You know, very simple response to that one, which is, why do you ask that? I didn't do anything. 
I was just browsing in the sporting goods section. Your your question really implies that I'm the guilty one, and that feels really hurtful. Full stop. That's it. If the person says, well, what did you do? Maybe you did something that made them, you know, suspect you. You know, what did you do? Easy answer. Why do you ask that? I didn't do anything. I was just browsing. But yet your question implies that I'm the guilty one, and that's really hurtful. Period. That's it. Nothing more need be said. Okay. Common response 13. Well, what did you do about it? If you didn't say anything about it, you're just as guilty as they are. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. That is not funny. But I laugh because it is so outrageous. It's so ridiculous. Well, if, if you didn't respond to it, you're just as guilty. Or, well, if you didn't say anything about it, I mean, you know, you can't really complain about it. There are a couple of different versions of that one. I've heard that one quite often, too. Okay. So what might we say that makes it, in that moment, a teachable moment? Wow. (laughs) I'm really shocked by that response. I mean, I just fundamentally disagree. Sometimes I do speak up because it's a matter of standing up for my dignity. But there are other times when I don't speak up, either because I just don't have the emotional energy to fight that battle in that moment, or because I'm unable to tell whether it's prejudice that's at play or whether I'm just dealing with a rude person. But whether I speak up or not doesn't make the other person any less responsible for their action. And it certainly doesn't make me guilty. Blaming the victim is really not helpful. And it hurts. It's hurtful. So once again, basically, something like that is kind of shocking, frankly. And so it's okay to say, you know, I'm really shocked by that response. And I just really disagree. You know, and as I said, I'll go through it one more time. Sometimes I do speak up. Because it's a matter of standing up for my dignity. But there are other times when I don't speak up, either because I just don't have the emotional energy in that moment. And in that moment, I just say, you know what? I, this is, I, I have to let this one go. I, I, I'm tired. You know, I've worked all day or whatever it is. Um, so sometimes I don't speak up because I just don't have the energy in that moment. Or sometimes I'm not sure what's at play here. It may be racism or whatever the ism is. Or it may be that this is just a rude person. And because I really can't tell in this situation, I'm just going to let it go. But look, whether I say something or not, it doesn't excuse the behavior. It doesn't make it any less wrong. See, there are times when you really just don't know. And you think, oh, boy, here we go. But, you know, maybe maybe they're just rude. I, I, I can't say that it's because of this for sure. But there are other moments, many other moments, when it's really clear. I might have said this on my last show. I'm not sure. But... You know, I was in a sporting goods store. That's why I have in this example, I was browsing the sporting section. Um, and uh, I went to try on something or another. Uh, the, the fitting room was right in the middle of the store. And I, I watched as people were going in and out of the fitting room because I was waiting for it to uh, be vacant so that I could, I could use it. I was waiting for its availability so that I could go in and try on whatever it was I was trying on. And... Um, So I had my eye on it, and I saw people go in and out. So people go in and out, saw people go in and out. Nothing. 
I noticed, however, that when I went into the fitting room, one of the people, there were three of them, one of the people who was behind the counter came and you know how the oftentimes the fitting rooms have these sort of saloon swinging doors that are kind of short. So you could see a person's feet uh, underneath the, the, the uh, door. I saw that person stand right outside of that fitting room until I came out of that fitting room with that outfit on the hanger. And when I left the fitting room, she went right back behind the counter. See, there are situations like that where it's clear what your different treatment is based on. It's clear that you're being treated differently from other people, for sure. So in situations like that, yes, I do try to speak up. But when you're not sure, sometimes I speak up, sometimes I don't. Um, But whether you do or not, again, it doesn't excuse their behavior. Okay. Uh, Number 14 is, well, I can't be a racist because some of my best friends are so-and-so. I don't hear that one as much as I used to hear it because most people know not to say that. At this point, most people know, okay, that's one of those responses that people just don't buy anymore. Uh, So I don't hear it as often um, as I used to. But, uh, yeah, sure. I will tell you when we come back from our break what is a good response to that, what I consider to be an effective response uh, to that response. Um, But we're going to go on a break. We'll come back. We'll continue with our last five, uh, six actually, uh, responses. And hopefully, hopefully, uh, I'll be able to make some closing remarks about all of this before the end of the show. See you on the other side of the break, everybody. us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Lauren is available for readings of her book, Race, My Story, and Humanity's Bottom Line, for keynote speaking engagements, training engagements, and for the facilitation of retreats. She works with both large and small organizations. Her interactive and experiential workshops range from four hours to four days in length. When working with groups, Lauren's style is a comfortable blend of both passion and peacefulness. She brings her sense of humor appropriately to all of her work. Lauren's work with groups has been described as eye-opening, inspirational, powerful, and life-changing. The goal of Lauren's work with employers is to help organizations create work environments in which every individual is both highly welcomed and equally valued. The goal of Lauren's speaking and training in the greater society is to help the human species grow in both wisdom and compassion. Her fervent desire is to help all people see the divine in themselves and themselves in each other. For more information about Lauren's programs, please visit laurennile.com. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. This is the fate of humanity. Crucial conversations for our survival. To reach host Lauren N. Nile with questions or comments about the program, please send an email to author and speaker Lauren at gmail.com. That's author and speaker Lauren at gmail.com. Now, let's return to the fate of humanity. 
Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Lauren Nile. We're talking about responses to common responses, common responses to conversations in which people are sharing their experiences with some of the isms. And there are 20 such responses, and we are on number 14. So let's just keep this train moving. Uh, that response, as I say, I don't, I don't hear nearly as often as I used to hear, is, well, I can't be a racist or whatever, uh, because some of my best friends are whatever. Okay, very simple response. You know, I'm glad that you have friends who are, uh, let's just say, because, because uh, I'm African American, I'll use that. I can't be racist because some of my best friends are black. Well, I'm glad you have friends who are African American. It's possible, though that you can have friends who are African-American and still have unresolved unconscious bias, you know, against African-Americans or maybe uh, some kind of fear of African-Americans. I mean, the two are not mutually exclusive. You may have friends at work or in your community who are black, but that doesn't mean that you still don't have some unresolved, for example, fear of unknown black people, black people who you don't know, you know, they can both be true. I just ask you to think about that. Okay. See, what we're doing is we're, we're, again, we're trying to make the person think rationally about these issues. Because the kinds of responses that people give, well, I can't be sexist, racist, whatever, because some of my best friends are women or, you know, Hispanic Americans, whatever it is. Well, it, it happened to me too, so it couldn't happen. Those things are not rational. They're not rational responses. You know, they, they paint the world as either or as opposed to, hmm, both can be true. So we're just trying to help people think rationally about these issues. Okay, response number 15. You're just looking for it. You're overly sensitive. You're just looking for it. Uh, you know, first of all, when I hear that, my first thought is, why would I look for this stuff? What reason would I possibly have for actually looking for this kind of pain in my life? I'd like to forget that it happens. I'd like for it to not happen, of course. But look for it? That would be the last thing I'd go about doing. So a response might be something like, why do you say that? Why would I go around looking for that kind of painful experience? My life would be infinitely better if I didn't have to deal with these kinds of experiences. And certainly, if I didn't have to deal with them as often as I do. So, you know, rather than looking for it, I expend energy trying to avoid it whenever it's possible. Uh, you know, hopefully they'll hear that. It makes no sense for me to go around looking for these kinds of things. Now, maybe what the person is saying is, eh, maybe you have a chip on your shoulder, you know, and you're seeing it where it doesn't exist. But... You know, if that's the case, we've already talked about that response um, in the former show. And that is, you know, maybe I'm sensitive, but if I'm sensitive, it's based on the fact that I have a lifetime of experience with these things. And it's given me a set of lenses that I think has me seeing these things pretty clearly. Number 16, you're just playing the woman card. You're just playing the race card. You know, um, if it's a person with a disability, you're just playing the disability card. That one we hear quite often, quite often, still to this day. What might be a good response? To let them know. You know, that's a very common response. Let them know that that common response is a common. That's a very common response when people share their experience of their daily indignities. The message that I'm intentionally harping on something that didn't actually happen, that's a very common response. Now, let's just assume for a minute 
that the experience I just told you about did indeed happen to me. Let's just assume for a minute that it did happen to me. How do you think I'm feeling right now, having been told that I'm just playing the X card? You know, you might not believe that it happened to me, but let's assume for a minute that it did. How do you think I'm feeling in this moment after having had the experience to now be met with the response, oh, you're just playing the race card, for example? Give that person something to think about. You see, we need to connect to each other as human beings and and to try to, <clears throat> excuse me, help them put them, <clears throat> excuse me, try to put them, help them put themselves in our place. You see, that's when we can begin to have empathy for another. 17. Well, look, I didn't get any unearned privilege. I worked for everything I have. I got nothing because I'm white or I got nothing because I'm a man. I got nothing because, you know, whatever the person's um, uh, characteristic is. I didn't get any unearned privilege. I worked hard for everything I have. That's a very, very common response. Okay, so how might we respond to that? How might one respond to that? Look, I'm sure that you've worked very hard for what you have. I'm sure that you have. I don't doubt that in the least. I mean, most people don't get anything without working hard, no matter what their race. But what's an important point to understand is that there are people who've worked every bit as hard as you have and didn't get nearly as far as you did. You see, you were able to yield all of the benefits of your hard work into what you rightfully earned as a result of it. You're reaping, rightfully reaping, the benefits of your work. But there are many other people who spent years working just as hard as you did, but weren't given the training opportunities or perhaps the promotions or the raises that you received. It's not that you didn't work hard. It's that others also worked hard, but but were denied the benefits of their work. So, no, you, you shouldn't feel guilty about what you have. You've worked for it. You've earned it. No, you didn't make the decisions about who advanced. But I'm just asking you to think about the fact that, and it would be helpful really for you to understand that others who are equally as qualified, and in some instances perhaps even more qualified, didn't get the results that you did. And oftentimes it's because the person that's making the decision about who to promote, who to send to training, you know, who to give this opportunity to or that opportunity to, they just weren't as comfortable with me. You know, as a black woman in an engineering department at a major university, and that's not me, by the way, I'm not an engineer, but I've heard this. Um, They just, they don't see me as their peer. I'm a black woman. How can I be a structural engineer? You know, and so I'm not on their short list when they consider, oh, who to send to this training, who to, you know, send to this conference. All right. So I just ask you to think about the fact that there are others who work just as hard and didn't get the benefits from their work that you got from yours. Hopefully that'll give the person something to think about. Number 18. Why should I feel guilty? I'm not responsible. I never discriminated against anyone. Don't hear it as often as I used to, so I, I know that we're making progress because some of this stuff has gotten better over time. But the response is, why should I feel guilty? I'm not responsible. I never discriminated against anyone. Uh, a helpful response? You're right. You aren't responsible for the oppression of whole groups of people. No one alive is uh, today. No one alive today is. 
The whole system was set up before any of us were born. You were born into this madness just as I was. So no, you shouldn't feel guilty. But as the recipient of a lot of privilege based on your identity, you do have a responsibility to understand your privilege. You do have a responsibility to do what you can do in your life to work against that system of unearned privilege with which both of us were born into. You do have a responsibility to educate others about it. You know, when you talk to other white people and they say those kinds of things, you have a responsibility to be an ally if you're a person of conscience and goodwill, as so many European Americans are, so many, and to speak up and say, well, you know, but that, but it, but it's different. It's not the same for everybody as it is for us. That's your responsibility, not to feel guilty about it, because if you feel guilty, you won't want to, you know, you won't be able to really be an effective ally and work against it. But you have a responsibility to understand it and to and to do what you what you can do in your life to work against it. Leave the guilt. Guilt won't allow you to be an empowered ally. And what all of us need, all of us, we need to be allies to each other. So yes, move beyond the guilt. You're not guilty, but be empowered. All right, we're almost there. We have 20, and this is common response number 19. Well, I've had pain in my life too, you know. I mean, I've had a lot of pain in my life, so why why do I have to spend all this time, you know, talking about your pain? I'm not going to spend too much time on this one, although this is a really important one. But I did discuss this at some length in uh, a previous show. And so I'll just suffice it to say here um, that a good response is to say that um, I, I'm so sorry you had that experience. You didn't deserve it as a human being. You know, I don't mean to sound patronizing, but I'm really happy you survived it. And I just ask for you to think about your pain, whether it was that you were abandoned or abused as a child or whether you experienced a very painful divorce or lost custody of your children. I ask you to think about the fact that as a human being, I may have very well, I may very well have experienced any one of those things. And on top of that, I have to deal with this ism that's in my face on a regular basis. You see, all those experiences as which you describe are human experiences. Any one of those I could have had, and, and I still have to deal with all of this as well. And I ask you also to use your pain to identify with mine. It may be for different reasons, but pain is pain. And if you can get in touch with your own suffering, you might be able to be empathetic toward me because of mine. Okay, finally, 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 number 20. Um, look. Uh, I've had pain in my life, so just deal with yours the way I've dealt with mine. Move on. Don't harp on it. Just move on. Well, you know, a response to that can be, look, um, I would love to move on. But this didn't happen to me in my past as an occasion. You know, I've heard one psychologist refer to the um, daily indignities as continuing. You've heard of post-traumatic stress Disorder, well, this is continuing, continuing traumatic stress syndrome or disorder or something, or continuing traumatic stress for sure. You know, at any point in my day-to-day, going to lunch, going to try on an outfit at a store, going to walk in a neighborhood, something could happen. You see, so I can't just get over it. 
it continues to happen. You know, my young cousin Joe, who talked about being so tired of people being afraid of him, that continues to happen to him, you see, and it's not going to stop, you see. So women are going to continue to clutch their purse when he walks, you know, by them on a, on a, on a sidewalk. I'm going to continue to get followed around in stores. People, African-Americans and other people of color are going to continue to have altercations with the police that wind up in tragedy through no fault of their own. So I, I can't just get over it, you see. I just ask you to think about that. So my friends, we've actually done it. We've gone through all 20 responses to the common responses. And I I really hope that this show has, has given you food for thought. I hope that it's empowered you to let you know that whether you're a person of color dealing with a you know, a form of racism, or whether you're a European American person who wants to begin to live your life as an ally, I hope that it's empowered you to know, well, there are things I can do. And this denial is one of the main reasons why people, you know, don't come together. And now I know I can do something about it. Okay, Uh, we've gotten through them. Congratulations to us (laughs) and this show. You know, just to return very quickly to this issue of Confederate statues, again, in terms of empathy and feeling what another feels, walking in another's moccasins. Let me just turn history around and ask if there are any European Americans out there listening to this show, I ask you to think about the following. If history had been reversed and if Africans had sailed on huge ships to Europe and literally captured European Americans and brought them to this country and enslaved them for 249 years. And if all over your landscape, there were statues to the men, and I'm saying men because it was men, if there were statues to the men who were the heroes of that movement, the heroes of slavery, and you had to see those statues in many, many public arenas, how would you feel if you had been enslaved for 249 years And the heroes of that movement were all over the place. How would you feel? All right. It is time for us to go. It's the end of the show now, folks. Thank you for listening in again this week. Next week, I'm going to have Dr. Gary Bell on the show. Dr. Bell rocks it. Listen in for the show. He's going to talk about the psychological impact. How He's a psychologist. He's going to talk about how this stuff impacts people psychologically. Thank you so much for listening. I love you, my listeners. Be well. Have empathy. Love one another. See you again next week with uh, Dr. Gary Bell. Take care. Thank you for listening to The Fate of Humanity, Crucial Conversations for Our Survival. Please join your host, Lauren N. Dial, for another edition of our program next Wednesday morning at 6 a.m. Pacific and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you right here next week.